Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Did a mom murder both of her girls as part of a revenge plot against her husband? Could that be? Or are we horribly mistaken? I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us here at Fox Nation and Sirius XM 111. First of all, let's start, as I start so many actual prosecutions in court with the 911 call. Listen. Sharon Castro, 15, can be heard struggling to breathe in the 911 call. She tells the dispatcher her mother shot her in the chest. The teen keeps repeating, I don't want to die. Please help me. The dispatcher promises the girl help is on the way. Castro can then be heard telling the dispatcher her five-year-old sister is also in the apartment. The 911 operator urges the teen to keep breathing and stay with me as firefighters are heard breaking down the door and a police officer enters the apartment, announcing himself. Two girls dead. And in that 911 call, you can hear as officers break down the door trying to save the girls. Again, I'm Nancy Grace and this is Crime Stories. Thanks for being with us. But could a mother actually murder both of her children as some sort of revenge? This is what we know. Take a listen to our friends at NBC4. Youngblood was arrested after calling her ex-husband and leaving him a voicemail, confessing and telling him she hated him. Two days later, five-year-old Brooklyn was supposed to move to live with her father. Prosecutors say Youngblood killed the girls to prevent that. However, the defense paints the father as abusive and controlling, partially why the defense claims Youngblood was driven into major depressive disorder. The defense drawing attention to this moment in the police interview. I am 18. So your punishment should be what? Death penalty. Death penalty. Youngblood seems to invite the death penalty, which Virginia has since abolished. With me, an all-star panel to make sense of what we know right now. But first, I want to go out to senior editor for the Daily Wire at dailywire.com, Ash Short. Ash, thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me on. Explain to me exactly how the children were killed. Oh, well, it was a completely tragic story. I see shot her daughters. Um, so uh, she shot her daughter, Brooklyn, who was just five years old, in the head. And she shot Sharon, who we heard on the 911 call, who was 15 years old, in her chest and her back. With me is high-profile lawyer joining us out of Tampa, Steve Utagawa. Steve, thank you for being with us. And Steve has tried so many cases, but he was a major force in the prosecution of Julie Schenecker, a highly educated mom of two, 
angry at her husband because he was gone all the time. She had given up her career in the military after climbing up the ranks, clawing her way to the top to be with the children so he could continue in his military career, which he did, and ultimately ends up shooting both of the children. Steve Utagawa, thank you for being with us. Question to you. I think it's very difficult for jurors who probably relate to their own mothers who were very likely loving and nurturing, self-sacrificing, would always put their children before themselves. I think it's very hard for jurors and even cops to accept a mother could murder her two girls. I think it's very hard for anyone, not even a parent, to, uh, to understand why a parent would kill their children. So I think that was Ms. Schenecker's avenue towards arguing that she must have been insane. So therefore, that's why she was not guilty of the crime, is that it's, it's unfathomable for a parent to think that you could kill your children unless you're crazy. Steve, as I recall, you had many women on the jury, and they were of an age to where they could be moms. I'm just wondering how that plays into their jury deliberations, because people think of their own mother. They think of how they love their own children if they are mothers. It makes it even more difficult to believe a mom would murder her child. And in that case, uh, Steve Utagawa, isn't it true Julie Schinnaker shot her teen girl who made all A's, who was sitting at her computer, shot her in the mouth because she said her daughter was getting, quote, mouthy. Her words, not mine. That's correct. That's um, how I recall the evidence coming out is that um, the daughter was at her computer with her back to the door and that Ms. Schenecker came up from behind her and shot her in the head and then put the gun in her mouth and shot her in the, in the mouth. I got the breakdown for you. It's seven women, nine men, and half of the jurors had children. So my, my thought on that, Karen Stark joining me, uh, renowned psychologist joining us out of Manhattan at KarenStark.com. Uh, that's Karen with a C. Karen, we project, even as jurors, when we swear we're going to be completely fair, completely rational, completely unbiased, you can't help who you are. So when you hear facts and evidence, and then you go back to the jury deliberation room, I could hear, I could imagine jurors saying, well, I just can't believe a mother would kill their child. I mean, I know they put up X, Y, and Z as evidence, but I just don't believe it. But there's no doubt, Nancy, I mean, think about us. It's really hard for us to comprehend. How could any mother, any parent kill a child when that's your job is to protect your children? That's what it feels like. But these are people that don't have a conscience. Anyone who commits suicide, which is killing your children, has no conscience and they don't see their children as children. Their children can be ants that they could just step on. They don't have feelings. And that is not necessarily insanity. Not at all. It's cold-blooded, but it's not insanity. I want to hear more about the allegations against this mom. But first of all, take a listen to our friends at Crime Online. Veronica Cascubo is born and raised in Argentina. She has described her childhood as violent. Cascubo told friends her mother and father beat her until she couldn't walk as a young child. She says her father beat her every day with a belt, broomstick, or branch. 
to add to the physical abuse at the hands of her parents, Veronica claims she was sexually abused by her grandfather for years until the adults in her life abandoned her and her younger sister. She was all alone with no adult supervision in Buenos Aires as a young teen. And more. Veronica gave birth to her first daughter, Sharon, when she was just 16. And not long after, she met career Navy officer Ron Youngblood. The relationship grew quickly, and the couple was soon married in a Las Vegas ceremony. The young family moved to the United States permanently, but as a Navy pilot, Ron Youngblood deployed once overseas. Three years after their wedding, Veronica and Ron welcomed a baby girl they named Brooklyn. Straight back out to Ash Short, senior editor, DailyWire.com. Ash, again, thank you for being with us. So the mom in this scenario, uh, Veronica Youngblood, has detailed to police a very tough upbringing in Argentina that she was beaten when she was a child, that someone sex abused her. She says her grandfather... And she felt abandoned. But somehow she meets Navy officer Ron Youngblood. I assume he was stationed there. And the two fall in love and they move to the U.S. permanently. They get married and she has a baby girl named Brooklyn. Yeah, I I mean, here's a a woman that, you know, maybe she had been abused. This is what we say. We have no evidence to the contrary, correct? And... You know, you but you would think, right, just thinking as a mother, as, you know, anyone who's been around kids, that if you had such an upbringing that you wouldn't want to be that way with your own kids, that you would want to, to love them and show give them everything that you didn't have. But it seems to be almost the opposite with young blood. Uh, she, uh, you know, she started seeing her children almost as pawns that could be used. In, in this divorce from her husband. So what we find out, what, what prosecutors alleged, uh, is that before nine days before she shot her children, she purchased the gun she used to kill her daughter. And she gave them sleeping pill gummies before she murdered them. So, you know, here's a woman that, that, that was cold and calculating. Uh, the prosecutors called her spiteful, selfish, vengeful, calculated. You know, all of these things that that you wouldn't expect from someone, you know, with her upbringing, because like I said before, you would expect her to to want to give her children all the things that she didn't have. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. To Robert Crispin joining us, private investigator uh, at Crispin Special Investigations, former Federal Task Force officer with the DOJ, the DEA, the Miami Field Division, former homicide and crimes against children investigator. Robert Crispin, thank you for being with us. How many times have you caught a defendant, a suspect, dead in the water, red-handed, and they start with their sob story about how they were abused as a child. Multiple times, multiple times. And the problem is, you know, people utilize children as weapons in so many cases, in so many cases. They weaponize the kids against the other, the husband against the wife, the wife against the husband. It's just relentless legal attacks, relentless accusations from lawyers against each other. And these people just get to a point, they snap. There is no excuse for murder. Wait, wait, wait. Did you say snap? They snap. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, you mean like snapped on oxygen? No, I mean snap and snap. killed somebody. Are you suggesting somehow that snap is a defense? Oh, I got mad and quote snapped because Steve Udagawa joining us, high profile lawyer out of Tampa. There's no such thing as, oops, I snapped. I snap about 10 times a day, but I don't murder anyone. That's not a defense. That's basically, I got mad and killed somebody. It happens all the time. What do you mean it happens? Who, who is saying that? Is that Crispin or Steve? It's not Steve. I mean, Yes, what? thank you. Okay, uh, Crispin, you have a great reputation as a private investigator. Did you somehow get your JD or Juris Doctorate when I wasn't looking? <laughs> no, not at oh, all. Okay, then let me put it very sweetly. Shut your pie hole. Okay. Steve Utagawa. Yes, ma'am. Is snap. Snap. I snapped. Snapped. I've already snapped at Jackie about eight times this morning. Sydney, you're next. Okay. Steve, snapped is not a defense under the law, regardless of what Robert Crispin, the private investigator, is telling us. Well, no, it's not a defense, but it could be a basis for second degree murder. Um, if you wanted to go for a lesser from first degree murder, my understanding is that. This crime is a murder with premeditation, you know, the conscious intent to kill. So I think, uh, and I don't think that's what they argued in this case. I hate to tell you this, but you are sounding awfully like a lawyer. True. When you say, yeah, if you say you got angry and quote, snap, you, you could argue second degree. Let's be clear. Mm-hmm. You know, different jurisdictions are different. So correct me if you True. think this is, is, is wrong. First degree murder in many jurisdictions, require some degree of calculation. However, we all know that premeditation can be formed in the blink of an eye, a twinkling, the time it takes you to raise the gun, pull the trigger, and shoot. That's time under the law for premeditation. 
Now, a, a lesser offense such as voluntary manslaughter or the equivalent in some states, I guess you're saying murder too, would be that you mm-hmm. were in a, a, a very volatile state. You are angry. The same old tired example is husband walks in, finds a wife in bed with somebody else. Angry. You shoot them both. See, to me, that's still murder one. Because if you have time to go get your gun, point it and pull the trigger, that's time for premeditation. That's revenge. That is pure out revenge. Punishing the wife and the lover. But that said, snap is not a defense such as accident or self-defense, which are both complete defenses under the law. And you're right. If I can prove I shot Jackie dead in self-defense and a jury believes it, I walk scot-free. That's a complete defense. But it starts a chain of events, just like premeditated murder. It starts a chain of events where people think, I can no longer deal with this. I'm done. I'm over it. I'm going to buy a gun. Whoa, 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 whoa. Going to buy a gun? What? That's total premeditation. Going and buying a gun? It's also called a cooling off period. I get it. But we were talking about when I said the comment snapped. What I meant snapped is... Is this Crispin again? It is. See, I think I'm talking to Steve Urigawa, the lawyer, about the law. Okay, Steve, snap. Defense. Explain. A snap defense to me would be you're arguing with somebody, you get so upset, you pull out a gun and you shoot. And you're not really thinking about what you're doing. Um, you know, to me in Florida, that that would be more for second degree murder, that there's no premeditation. There's not enough time to really think about what you're doing. You just do it. Um, and that's a, a lot of times a defense. Um I'm trying to think of an example of a second-degree murder. Okay, think on that, because I want to. I yeah. want everyone listening and watching to understand the Schinnaker case that we're talking about, that you were pivotal in the investigation and the court case. Uh, take a listen to our cut. 22, our friends at WFTS. This is how she looked hours after being arrested for shooting her own children to death. Both 13-year-old Bo and 16-year-old Calix were star athletes and star students, and we now know it was just a few months ago when Calix filed a police report saying her mother slapped and hit her in the face and even busted her lip. But that case was later closed, even though reports show Schenecker admitted to hitting her daughter because she talked back. It's the same reason she told police she wanted her children dead, a reason many find as sick as their murders. And more from Bay News 9. Police say about 7 o'clock Thursday night, Schenniger armed herself with a 38 caliber pistol she had just purchased over the weekend. They say she shot her son twice in the head in the family's garage, then went upstairs and shot her daughter in the back of the head while she was doing her homework. She did tell us that they talked back, that they were mouthy, and that she was tired of it. Detectives say Schenniger's mother contacted them from Texas Friday morning after receiving a disturbing email from her daughter and being unable to reach her. When they arrived at the house, they found her on a back patio covered in blood. They also found a note describing how she planned to kill her children and then herself. Karen Stark, Karen Stark, Karen Stark, psychologist. Nancy, Nancy, Nancy. Another episode where I'm going to kill everybody and then myself and whoopsie, 
you just commit murder and you sit in the backyard in your housecoat having a glass of wine by the pool. So familiar. It reminds me of Susan Smith. She was going to drown herself with her kids and somehow they died and she didn't. It happens all the time. It's I'm, I was going to kill all of us, but somehow I managed to survive. And we're talking about somebody because the kids were mouthy. Well, this woman, back to Robert Crispin's misinterpretation of the law. I love saying that to you, Crispin. Is he still muted? <laughs> he's got to be because he's not saying anything. I want you to hear this, Crispin, uh, to Steve Utagawa's response regarding snapped in his high-profile case of Julie Schenneker, who murdered her two children. This woman even wrote it all down in a diary. And I want you to hear how she described murdering her son in our Cut 33 from ABC. We were told by a medical examiner today that Bo and Calix were shot at such close range that they actually had burn marks on their skin. Her defense attorneys claim that she was insane at the time of the slaying. She was diagnosed bipolar with psychotic features and that her chronic mental illness stole everything from her, including her two children. The state says Schenneker actually planned that Saturday massacre with a 38 revolver and hollow point bullets and then wrote about the slayings in a diary. I offed Bo on the way to practice. He saw the gun and told me to put it back in the purse. He had a healthy fright. I accidentally shot the window. The shot him one extra through one extra shot through the side of the head. Then went then when we got home, a shot to his mouth because he became so mouthy, just like Calix. And the state says that she also wrote in that diary that she would have killed her husband, Colonel Parker Schenneker, had he been in the house at the time. Of course, he was on assignment in Afghanistan. And more in our Cut 34. The diary talks in specifics about the two kids, 13-year-old Bo and 16-year-old Calix. She called me an evil soul. In parentheses, the evil starts Thursday. The technician went on to read another page, labeled Thursday, the day of the murders. The passage started talking about how she shot Bo first in the car on the way to practice, and she was surprised he had fight. He was yelling at me. First shot hit the windshield. Second shot was the side of the head. Next shot was to the mouth, his mouthy mouth. The diary talks about how both kids would talk back to Scheneker and not treat her with respect, then describes the murder of her daughter. Came home, dash Calix was on the upstairs computer. She said, in quotations, what are you doing? Quotations, just see what you're doing. Walked up without her reacting and shot her in the right temple. Then shot her in the mouth, in parentheses, her sassy little mouth. Both of these beautiful children dead, and now history repeats itself. To Steve Utagawa, an instrumental part in the Julie Schinnaker prosecution, what was Schinnaker's motive? Well, you know, again, as you know, um, when you're proving first-degree murder, we don't necessarily have to prove motive. Right. But, you know, in this case, I think um, her motive was is that she just wasn't happy in her life. And I think that she blamed maybe her children for that to a certain ex- to a certain extent that they were, as she puts it, quote, mouthy, disrespecting her. And I think she took out a lot of her maybe frustration in her own life, her own 
problems uh, right. and took them out on her on her children because, as she puts it, they were mouthy to her. They disrespected her, and I don't, I don't. I don't find that an excuse. Karen Stark, psychologist, joining us out of New York. You and I have analyzed this. And your analysis during the Schenecker trial was that Julie Schenecker was angry because her husband continued in his career and traveled a great deal, leaving her with the children to raise uh, largely on her own. And she sought revenge. And that's not uncommon, Nancy. And a lot of these stories about women who kill their children, it really is them angry. They're angry at their husbands, and they wind up using the children as a way to get back at them. Guys, take a listen to our Cut 12, Bruce Lashana at WSA9. Youngblood described raising Sharon in Argentina, piercing her ears but not having enough money to buy her clothes or food celebrating both the girls' birthdays and their matching brown eyes. She told jurors her mother and father beat her every day as a child and then abandoned her as a teenager alone in Buenos Aires. When she met Ron Youngblood, a Navy pilot, they moved to the U.S. and he deployed overseas. Why did you leave me, she asked her ex, who sat stoically in the back of the courtroom. Why did you leave me alone with the girls, she asked him. None of this would have happened, she said. So, as short, joining me, senior editor at The Daily Wire, is that, uh, of course, as Utagawa has stated, the state never has to prove motive, but is that the working theory of the prosecution? That this mom, Veronica Youngblood, was angry that the dad wasn't there? Yes, in part, and angry that the dad was going to take the younger daughter, Brooklyn, who was five, and moved to Missouri with her. And this was all for spite, all to get back at him. And, and, you know, we listened to that clip and this whole case is just another example of, you know, here's a woman who is blaming a man, blaming her husband, just like Schenecker did. You know, it's, it's the husband's fault. She's, she's basically upset because the husband's away all the time, left her with the children. Here's Veronica Youngblood, whose husband left her and she's claiming she did all of this because he left her and, you know, arguing that maybe she shouldn't be punished as much. Maybe it should be insanity because a man, it's a man's fault. It's always a man's fault. Men abused her growing up. Grandfather sexually abused her. Now her husband is just terrible. And it's just this, this constant, it, we have it here in America, of women blaming men for their problems, not taking responsibility. And you see it specifically in these women who murder their children. You know, we have the Julia Schenekers, we have the Susan Smith. Uh, Susan Smith killed her children because she wanted to date a man who didn't want children, right? And now we have here Veronica Youngblood. I mean, there are examples, I believe, of women who have, who do actually do have mental problems who kill their children. We have Andrea Yates who had severe postpartum depression, right? Uh, she's in a mental facility now. She denies her own review for her case. There's another woman who is uh, going through this process currently, Lindsay Clancy out of Massachusetts. She strangled her children and then slit her wrists and jumped out of a window. She's now paralyzed. So she is one of the few examples of a woman who did actually intend to kill herself after her children. So we have those two cases where we can see this clear mental illness. But then we have the Veronica Youngbloods and the Julie Schenickers who are just upset with their life. 
upset with their husbands and take it out on the kids. I agree with everything that you just said, but I'd like to also point out that one out of three women in the U.S., according to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, have been a victim of domestic violence. Is that true in this case of Veronica Youngblood? No indication at all she had been abused in her marriage. Um, nor Julie Schinnaker, who we are also focusing on. I think I hear Karen start jumping, Karen. But it's, it's manipulation, really. It's not about insanity at all, Nancy. They know the difference between right and wrong. They're angry, and they manipulate the situation. They take, they kill their children, really. It's all about revenge and anger. I think I hear Crispin jumping in. Go ahead, Robert. No, no, wasn't jumping in, but no. I totally agree with what everybody is saying. And yeah. You know, victimizing themselves. I'm the victim. I'm the victim. This is uh, Steve. Um, I just wanted to clarify with Ms. Schenecker. Um, she did have a long history of mental health issues. Um, she had been hospitalized earlier. I don't want to say probably 10 years before this incident. So there was documentation that she did suffer from either bipolar disorder or depression. I thought it was more on the grounds of, in the range of depression. And that was one of the reasons why we came off of the death penalty because Ms. Schenecker, we were looking at originally at the death penalty for her. But once, you know, there was a lot of documented evidence. Can I ask you a lightning round, Steve? Sure. Lightning round, yes, no. Isn't it true that Julie Schenecker purchased the gun ahead of time? Yes. Isn't it true that she murdered both of her children while her husband was out of town? No one was there to stop her. Yes. Isn't it true that Julie Schenecker murdered both children outside the purview of any witness, one in the garage, one upstairs in her bedroom? Correct. And isn't it true she kept a diary of what she did? That is true as well. Oh, okay. Well, bye-bye insanity defense. Exactly. That was clearly well thought out. You know... To Dr. Jan Gorniak, renowned medical examiner, joining us out of Vegas. Dr. Gorniak, thank you for being with us. Have you ever handled a case where a child was killed by their own mother? Yes, I, I have. And I had a similar case, exactly like they killed her kids and then ended up in a different state, going to the emergency room saying that she wanted to kill herself too, but left her, her kids back in the house dead. Um, and then called the ex-husband on the way as she's driving. Ah, uh, call the husband. She had the wherewithal to call the husband and taunt the husband with the knowledge that she had killed the child, um, which goes toward a revenge killing. Let me ask you, Ash Short joining us from the Daily Wire. Ash, in this case, speaking of the father, the bio dad being elsewhere and not there, in the home, isn't it true that they had reached a divorce and everyone, including the mom, Veronica Youngblood, was going, they were all going to move to Missouri. And then she, Veronica Youngblood, got a job and decided to stay where they were in Fairfax County, Virginia. That's why the husband was gone. Based on their mutual decision, the whole family would move to Missouri. Absolutely. And then she changed her mind and then she used that as uh, her excuse to kill her kids and blame her husband. Um, and when we look at these cases, I mean, beyond this, because Steve had mentioned, you know, uh, taking the death penalty off of Seneker. Well, that is another thing that happens with women. You know, women uh, receive 60, men receive 63% longer sentences on average than women for the same crime. And so we see this in this case. We see this over and over again with these women who kill their children. 
not getting the death penalty. There have been women who've gotten the death penalty. I'm not going to say none. But Veronica Youngblood, well, she hasn't been sent. But we look at Susan Smith, Andrea Yates. We look at Scheniker. No death penalty. Life without parole or, you know, possibility of parole. And look at Lori Vallow. Lori Vallow reportedly killed her two children, orchestrated several murders. She's a serial killer. And the death penalty is off the table. You're right. But the death penalty is not off the table for her husband who is charged with the same crime. You're right. The death penalty has not been taken off the table for the so-called Prophet Chad Daybell. Very astute analysis, Ash. So you're hearing that the whole family had planned to move to Missouri together, uh, even though they were getting a divorce so they could co-parent. And then it's Veronica Youngblood that reneges on the deal And then the retaliation begins. Take a listen to our friends at CrimeOnline.com and our cut five. Weeks after negotiating and settling the court case and with the divorce case still pending, Veronica Youngblood tossed Rob's cell phone in a toilet, splashed water on his laptop, and scratched his car according to a motion filed by Ron. Ron Youngblood obtained a family abuse protective order against Veronica Youngblood from the Fairfax Juvenile and Domestic Relations Court. Veronica was ordered out of the Oakton townhouse and to stay at least 500 feet away from Ron. With the protective order still in place, the Youngblood's divorce was finalized. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Well, it sounds to me, Ash Short, joining us from DailyWire.com, that that TPO, Temporary Protective Order, wasn't really worth the paper it was printed on. No, absolutely not. And that's usually the case. I'm surprised he was able to get one at all. Usually women can get these, like candy, and for a man, it doesn't matter whether she violates it or not. They're not going to do anything. So I'm actually really shocked that he was able to get that. But, of course, it didn't matter and she continued to do this. Where were they shot on their body, Ash? Uh, yes, uh, Sharon was shot in her chest and her back. She ended up surviving fight when she called 911. She died later at a hospital. Brooklyn was just shot in the head. She died at the scene. And remember, Brooklyn was just five years old. Dr. Jean Gorniak, one child, clearly suffered called 911 gasping for breath the other died more instantly but what would the child have endured that tried to get help to live what were her last moments oh i can only imagine how scary it was she even said i don't want to die um so obviously she shot in the chest most likely got her lung um so she's bleeding into her chest Um, having difficulty breathing, possibly aspirating or swallowing some of that blood back into her her lungs or into her her stomach. I mean, just fear, sheer terror. And and 
fear. Um, and for her to have survived a couple of days, she probably went into shock from a lot of loss of blood. So this is the woman that reportedly threw her husband's cell phone into the commode, threw water on his laptop, keyed his car, and now she's got the children. If you don't believe in the prosecution's theory, I want you to take a listen to Drew Wilder from NBC4 in our Cut 17. New video of Veronica Youngblood's interview with police in the hours after she shot and killed her daughters, five-year-old Brooklyn and 15-year-old Sharon. In the interview, Youngblood references her plan to kill her daughters several times. So to buy a gun and kill your daughters and yourself? Yes, Inside their McLean apartment on August 5th, 2018, Youngblood's defense attorneys concede she shot and killed the girls. 15-year-old Sharon was still alive when police arrived, and that officer testified, quote, she said her mom came into the room and said, I'm going to take you to see God, and then shot her. And more in our Cut 16 from WSA 9. What happened that night was crazy, Youngblood told jurors. I lost control. She said Sharon was praying before she shot her and said, Mommy, we're going to die tonight. Ron Youngblood told jurors of his own pain, how Brooklyn loved animals, how he and Sharon made silly faces at a restaurant, how Sharon made him a Father's Day collage he still keeps as a screensaver on his phone, how he built the girls' memorials in Chantilly and his hometown in Missouri. They're inscribed, children are true miracles. To Robert Crispin, a private investigator joining us from Crispin Special Investigations, Robert lost control. That's total BS, technical legal term. She went and bought the gun, according to her, her words, not ours, in order to kill her children. She did not lose control. This was planned. This was not an uncontrollable impulse. But how many times, Robert Crispin, in all the cases you have investigated, which are many, many cases, thousands of cases, does the perp say, oh, I just lost it? Like, that's going to somehow condone what they did? I lost it? That's the excuse that they use, Nancy. It happens all the time. We hear it all the time. But that's no justification for what they've done. Clearly, there were so many systematic steps leading up to this homicide. And I don't even think I would want to listen to the 911 tape of this 15-year-old trying to catch her last breath saying, I don't want to die. That has just got to be the most gut-wrenching 911. And I can tell you the dispatcher and the cops who responded to that are still affected today. And if you don't think that cops are affected by child crimes, they are for many, many years. A revenge killing a double murder by a mom angry at her husband. Take a listen to our cut 15 from Bruce LaShawn. Weeping loudly despite the medications she says she is taking to control her emotions. Youngblood fed her daughter's sleeping pill gummies in 2018 at her McLean apartment. Then she shot Brooklyn in the head and Sharon in the back and in the chest. Sharon was able to call 911 and tell first responders what her mother had done. She died at the hospital. Veronica Youngblood called her ex after the shooting, leaving a message that she had killed the girls and that she hated him. Karen Stark, psychologist. That is clearly a revenge killing. 
That's a revenge killing. After she murdered the girls, she calls her husband to say, I hate you. I murdered your girls. And she blamed everything and continues to blame everything on him, Nancy. It's his fault that she did that. She's not taking responsibility for her actions and blaming everything. It's so clearly revenge killing that, I mean, this could be a textbook case. And to you, as short senior editor, Daily Wire, isn't it true the whole Missouri move was because the husband, Ronald Youngblood, had to move to Missouri? And this is something that happens millions of times in America and all around the world that, you know, a man gets a job and a woman is taking care of the kids and they move. I mean, I myself moved all over the country when I was a kid because my father got another job. It's what you do. And, you know, Youngblood decided... Veronica Youngblood decided she didn't, at the last minute, she didn't want to go. And she got a job and she wanted to stay. So, I, I mean, this is just something that happens millions of times. And yet in this instance, she decided to use this as yet more evidence uh, to, to get revenge on her husband, yet another reason to get revenge on him. And she did. She killed her kids to prevent them from moving with him. Two girls dead, Brooklyn and Sharon robbed of everything, their life, their future. No more proms, no more straight A's, no more cheerleading, no more plans of a wedding one day, of children themselves, of going to college. It's all over in that one moment. A double revenge murder. Convicted, now Youngblood, furiously working on her appeal. Goodbye, friend. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.